umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we're going to discuss michigan's upcoming game versus washington remember if you enjoy the podcast please subscribe on itunes spotify or pandora so clint how do you feel about uh, what we saw last week and uh, what we're going to see heading into this big game? Well, I, I think all of the uh, feedback that we got from the Western game in terms of Michigan is positive. You know, there's still questions and nothing's perfect, but that's that's certainly a positive feeling coming out of that performance. Very strong on offense. A little bit of a downer, of course, with uh, losing Ronnie Bell. Um, but if there was any position that you you had the depth of talent to be able to withstand uh, an injury to your top guy, wide receiver might be so, um, And then on defense, we saw a lot of uh, new things. We saw certainly uh, a kind of a bend-but-don't-break uh, philosophy uh, against the pass. And we saw Daxon Hill over there in the slot covering guys, so... Uh, and we saw a four-man front. Uh, sometimes there were two guys with their hands down in the dirt and, and two stand-up ends. Uh, sometimes there were three guys down with the two stand-up ends. So we saw a lot of, of various things that uh, I think was very positive. Uh, the ability to, to throw a lot more uh, visual uh, reads at the opposing quarterback is going to be a positive. So I, I think that they're in the strongest position they could be going into week two. Um, if you would have asked us back in the preseason and then obviously Washington, uh, did not play well in week one and lost to an FCS team. So, um, a lot has changed since we were, uh, having this conversation, uh, in the preseason and, and what we expected going into uh, week two against a, a power five opponent and a team that uh you know led the uh, pac 12 last year in the COVID year so it, i would say it's it's mostly optimistic right now um but some of the details kind of show where where we need to keep an eye on on potential landmines so clint you mentioned ronnie bell's injury there's been some discussion and some criticism uh towards coach harbaugh about whether ronnie bell should have been out on special teams, where do you fall on that? Well, in the in the pregame, you know, I, I had mentioned that I thought that it was not a good sign that Ronnie Bell would be returning punts, um, but it was not because of injury risk. Football is uh, an inherently dangerous game. You know, that's uh, you're not going to be able to wrap the guys in bubble wrap. That's for sure. Uh, so I, I wanted to clarify that my statements were mostly about having your number one receiver uh, for the last three years, focusing specifically on the offense. If you could have uh, somebody that you trusted back returning punts, um, and I think uh, what I was trying to get at then is is what we heard from uh, from Harbaugh in his press conference or his media availability uh, this week is that yeah. A.J. Henning would be nice to put back there, but, you know, he's got to work a little bit on being consistent with catching the ball and making decisions uh, on when to let the ball bounce or when to uh, get over there and catch it. And then Caden Colasar, 
who we saw step in for Ronnie Brown or excuse me, Ronnie Bell uh, on Saturday. He uh, is fine. Somebody that the coaching staff trusts to catch the punts, but they would rather deploy him up front uh, either as a blocker or, or rushing the punts. So that was most of what I said is that if, if, you know, Ronnie Bell is in that role, then you're, you're, you're losing his attention somewhere else potentially. But if he was the most explosive option, um, similar to a guy like Jabril Peppers or back to, you know, Charles Woodson and, and Desmond Howard, of course, you're going to put your most explosive guys back there because you want to make a big impact um, on those punt returns. So I, my assumption was that Ronnie Bell was not our most explosive guy that he would have been back there because of his reliability with his hands. But, you know, what we saw, uh, Ronnie Bell very well could have been our most explosive guy back there. You know, he, he made three explosive plays in uh, just over, you know, 20 minutes of, of game time uh, before he was hurt. He had two great catches. One was taken away on a penalty, and then the, the play that he got hurt on on the return was a 31-yard return. So um, if he's the most explosive guy, he should be back there. And that was surprising to me, a pleasant surprise, that uh, that he was so explosive. So just a little bit of clarification as to why I was saying, you know, I thought that uh, I'd rather see a more explosive guy back there. Um, but uh, it's certainly not not the injury risk. Again, you, two of your last Heisman Trophy winners um, in Desmond Howard and Charles Woodson returned punts. Um, you know, you think of Steve Breston, DPJ, you know, Jabril Peppers, these guys, uh, big game-breaking play opportunities. You, you got to put your, your best weapon there, um, but you also have to trust him to catch the ball uh, because you, you could have a big swing if uh, if you're muffing the punt and turning the ball over too. Yep, and that's exactly the kind of situation that a team like Western could take advantage of, you know, a quick change where a guy muffs the punt or doesn't take care of it. So, you know, again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. You and I uh, agree, um, you know, almost 100% on this or 100%. You know, one of the things that we've che- we've seen change over the last 20 or 30 years is that there is a, a philosophical change to you want to get your best player the ball in, in as many different situations as you can, right? And... From what we saw briefly, Ronnie Bell was, you know, had the potential to have an amazing season. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, that season was cut short by injury. But again, football is a contact sport. Players can be injured at any time. It's not like he was injured late in the fourth quarter with Michigan up by 40 or 50 points. You know, this was a first half injury. And, you know, you can practice as much as you want, but. Game speed is different from practice speed. You need to have your players out, you know, during game time to get reps. And again, I, I really think this is a, a tempest in a teacup. It's uh, folks wanting to find fault with Jim Harbaugh and, and you know, taking advantage of what was uh, a really horrific injury and, and just, just bad luck. So, uh, you know, there there are plenty legitimate things that you can disagree with Coach Harbaugh on, but... Uh, playing Ronnie Bell uh, on special teams is not one of them. So, again, uh, moving on. Again, we wish him the best. Um, hopefully uh, he'll recover from his injury and, 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 and move on. But 
we won't be seeing them this year. You know, one of the things that Coach Harbaugh talked about is, you know, he's expecting Ronnie to uh, lead from the sidelines, you know, to follow through on being a captain. Um, One of the really interesting things that Coach Harbaugh talked about was that when he was injured as a player back way back in the day, um, one of the things that happened is he worked with Lloyd Carr and really came to get a, a deeper understanding of the game. And it was one of the things that, you know, has helped him as a coach, you know, to as opposed to being the quarterback where you're directing the offense, he really had to stand back, step back, um, due to the injury and, and, and understand how all the different positions work together. So, you know, hopefully, um, Ronnie Bell will have that kind of opportunity and, and, and he will make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I, I would expect that from, from Ronnie Bell, given what we, what we do know of him and, and what we've heard from him directly. I, I would expect him to take the most active role possible and still continuing to be a, a vocal leader where, uh, where Michigan needs him. So I, I, I don't expect, um, anything else, uh, outside of, of him as the, as a leader. And I am, um, you know, looking forward to, to seeing how he, uh, progresses through his rehab and, and hopefully have him back on the field, um, next season. Absolutely. So, Michigan ended up beating Western 47 to 14. There were a lot of positives. Um, one big negative, losing Ronnie Bell. How do you feel about the Michigan offense uh, matching up against Washington on Saturday? Well, the other big um, surprise or, or, or positive uh, development that I you know, wasn't expecting was that the offensive line really, to me, looked crisp. You know, and and looked like they were uh, really executing well, uh, especially on the interior. And I think there was a clear difference in the level of play from last year to this year um, at the center position with Andrew Astartes. So I, I, you know, can't say enough positive things about what I saw on some of the rewatch opportunities that we had this week. You know, Andrew Astartes not only was uh was just fine snapping the ball which you know isn't always a given in week one um did a great job snapping the ball and also uh was very very solid in blitz pickups and communication uh on the interior but also had a couple big plays where he was actually pulling and, and was able to get around the edge and one one play that i saw specifically was that was the long touchdown end around to aj henning Vestardis uh, is actually pulling out there and gets uh, gets out there and cut blocks a uh, a linebacker to help spring that touchdown. So um, seeing him really step into his uh, into his role as a captain, and it's clear that he's very very uh, sharp, understands what he's looking at in terms of the fronts, and does a good job communicating that. And I think the offensive line really looked. Um, better in that game on Saturday than we have seen uh, at any point in uh, in 2020, and that is really a, a, a very positive development because we know that Washington has uh, some real depth and talent uh, up front on their defensive line. So I think that is much more of a strength on strength battle now than than I thought uh, a few weeks ago after seeing how well. 
the offensive line uh, executed as a unit. So Vistardis had a really great game. The one thing that I noticed, uh, besides all the great things, was early in the first half, there was uh, an offsides penalty where the, the entire team went and he didn't snap the ball. And, and I kind of laugh at that because, you know, knowing how the offensive line works and knowing how the center position works, I'm sure he took some grief from his teammates about that. I kind of had a chuckle. But you're right. He had an amazing game. And, uh, you know, there were some concerns. Well, you and I had concerns about how the offensive line would look with the changing uh, in the coaching position. And, again, first game, everything looks good. You know, going to have another test uh, under the light Saturday and looking to see if they can build on that uh, performance. Yeah, this upcoming game really is a better benchmark to try to compare um, how the the offensive line is really executing in the run game. Um, It's tough to make any comparisons based on one performance against a, a Mac team who, who wasn't necessarily very strong uh, defensively up front. So really being able to have success in the run game um, and, and impact the game from uh, on the ground is going to be a big deal this coming Saturday. And I know that's going to be a kind of a centerpiece of their, their game plan is being able to, to have success on the early downs uh, via the run and also use your, your run game success to both open play action passing opportunities down the field and also to put some of those linebackers and safeties and box players in conflict with RPO. So run game success is really going to be the foundation uh, of what Michigan's going to want to do offensively. So uh, if, if Michigan's putting up points and really moving the ball well, we'll know that that's what's going on. And then I am very interested to see the the metrics, um, especially regarding success rate on run plays and standard down success rate, explosiveness, those types of things, to be able to start comparing uh, this offensive line unit under Sharon Moore compared to what we saw. Not really in 2020. I think that the COVID year is kind of a, a, an exception and an outlier, but I am interested to look at the 2019 teams and the 2018 team um under Ed Warner. So that I am certainly going to be looking at that and comparing it as, as often as possible when we can get an apples to apples comparison. And I would say Washington's defensive front is a, is a very strong one. So it, if, if they can have that same level of success um, in the run game, then that is a really, really great sign for, for where Michigan's at and where they're going this season. So it's interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled, but in a good way, right? So before the season, I was really concerned about this upcoming game. And, I mean, I'm concerned about every game, right? But last week, um, Washington lost to the Montana Grizzlies by a score of 13-7. to And they had Washington had a first-quarter touchdown, and they were blanked for the rest of the game. And uh, that that's not what we expected. Now, they did have um, several of their receivers out for the game. So um, that's going to be interesting to see. You know, we could see, you know, one of the things they say is that you see a ton of improvement between game one and game two, right? So totally expecting uh, to see a different Washington offense. But 
again, I'd much rather be on the Michigan end of having a great performance that I think we were kind of surprised by as opposed to trying to uh, understand why, why you know, like on the Washington side, why they weren't more successful. Another thing to keep in mind is that Giles Jackson, who left Michigan, is, is now um, playing for Washington. So it'll be interesting to see him back in the big house. Um, wish him the best. Wish him the best in every game except this one. So uh, it'll be definitely interesting to see how, how he matches up. He's one person on, on the Washington squad who you would not expect to be um, to be dazzled by the big house, right? It's definitely a place that he's familiar with. And it'll be interesting, um, you know, how much of that knowledge and preparation he'll be able to spread to his to his new teammates. Yeah, the the game planning part of it is, is interesting. Obviously, he played uh, for two seasons under Josh Gaddis in this offense. Um, so the, I, I always wonder how much value you can get out of, uh, out of a player. Um, you know, in, in the past, I think that was part of the, uh, justification for having somebody sit out a year after they transferred. And now with the, uh, the new transfer rules, I think there's a little bit, um, you know, that that's a little bit more at play, but, uh, you know, it, it goes both ways. It's, it's one example, um, this year where, Somebody who was with the program earlier on this calendar year uh, in 21 is now over there. But I, I, I am interested to see, it, or I, I wonder at least, I don't know if we'll ever know uh, truly whether there's any value there with, uh, with transfers. Um, I do know that in the NFL it happens uh, pretty, pretty regularly that uh, a player's cut and uh, a rival will, will kind of sign them and put them on the practice squad or, or uh, put them into their depth chart if it's a position of need and they have a, a roster spot available because they uh, they want to, to gain as much information about the inner workings of that, uh, that somebody that's coming up on their schedule as they can. So just a, you know one, one potential storyline that may, may get uh, played out a little bit this week with uh, Giles' return. But from a defensive standpoint, you know, it's it. I I would have never guessed uh, a few weeks ago that Michigan's defense may be the stronger unit. You know, going into this game, you know, I I, I saw all of the uh, very very close. Everybody expected uh, this game to be very very close uh, in the preseason, and uh, you know, were a lot of question marks for both programs, of course. But they are uh, traditionally very very you know strong in the Pac-12 over there and, and Michigan being strong in the Big Ten. So I don't think anybody really knew what to make out of this uh, out of this matchup. But if you would have told me that the Michigan defense uh, may have uh, an advantage both in uh, in talent and in, uh, a- and in performance that we saw in week one, then I, I would have been absolutely shocked. And, and I'll tell you, seeing a couple clips of Washington's off offensive performance last Saturday it, it is shocking their offensive line returned all five starters from last year and looked absolutely lost M- many 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 missing uh missed assignments and uh even when they were there uh often didn't execute the the blocks that they needed to make uh, which was just I, I I don't understand it it's totally confusing to me that you could 
return that much experience on an offensive line and look as bad as they did in week one. And then, of course, that, that kind of crumbles your, your ability to execute at all the other positions. The quarterback um, is not a, uh, you know, he's not a, a high-end world-class athlete. Um, so he, he can move his feet a little bit, but he's not going to really beat you with his legs. He uh, doesn't have a cannon for an arm, you know, so he's not really going to, um, you know, be able to, to beat you just on talent alone. So he needs the, the support of that offensive front. And, uh, and then, like you said, they had some injuries um, that kept some of their top returning pass catchers uh, from playing in that game. So it was a, a quite a perfect storm for a, for a bad offensive performance. I, I do think that they'll bounce back and play better than that because it's such a low bar to, to compare yourself to. But I do expect them to be better than that on offense and put up more than seven points uh, against Michigan. I, I think that they'll score at least a couple times and probably uh, put the ball into scoring position a, a, a handful of times. And Michigan's defense is going to have to step up and make a few big plays, especially once we're into the third and the fourth quarter. Well, the one thing I was thinking is between kind of last season being an outlier and Washington's performance being so subpar last week, I don't know how much value there is in the game film. And that's, for me, you know, trying to look at it from a coaching perspective, that's that's a concern, right? Because, you know, if this was three or four games into the season, you would have a lot of film to watch. Um, you would know what to expect, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think you can expect what you saw last week because it was such a, a subpar performance. So it's going to be interesting to see what, um, you know, if, if you're Washington, uh, you have to wonder if your season is teetering right now, right? If you come out with another bad performance, um, man, that's that's a long season uh-huh, ahead. Um, so you got to expect, you know, they're going to be on national TV, under the lights, um, so I agree. We're going to see a much different performance and, you know, it will be interesting. I, you know, again, we're trying to figure out what, what are we seeing from this Michigan team? Right. Um, and again, like you said, to usually, you know, conventional wisdom says the defenses are usually ahead of the offense. Right. But that's, when you have a defense uh, staff that's been in place, you have players in place. This season, they come in, you have new coaches, new scheme. Total, I totally expected there to be a lot more uh, confusion and, and, and chaos as they were learning the system. They looked really good, you know. So, But, again, this is a different opponent. And, uh, you know, again, I, I uh, this is one of those. I, I Heading into this uh, – heading into the season – I thought, you know, we expected a much better Washington team. I and we expected a little I expect a little more disarray on the Michigan side. I picked this game coming up Saturday as as a loss for Michigan, right? And now I'm thinking, wow, uh, you know, not only would I be di- I I I'm always disappointed by a loss, but not only would I be disappointed now, but um, you know, I think I would be I would be surprised. I'm really leaning more toward Michigan, um, you know, getting the job done Saturday. And, and I got to tell you, Clint, it's nice to have that feeling after, after last year, because, uh, I didn't have that feeling at all last year. 
Yeah, I certainly expect Michigan to be able to win this game. I knew that they were capable of winning the game, um, you know, in the preseason. I expected it to be close, and I just thought Michigan or Washington's experience would end up making a difference, especially in the second half. You got a new starting quarterback this season um, for Michigan, as opposed to a returning starter for Washington. The offensive line turnover for Michigan as opposed to a totally returning offensive line for the Huskies, right? I, I just thought that experience would, would end up playing a role and that if you had to lean one way or the other, I, I leaned in Washington's direction. But that all got flipped on its head, seeing how poorly that offensive line played for Washington um, on Saturday against FCS uh, opponent, you know, a, a team that you would expect um, – if there was an upset like that, I would have expected it to be uh, not a defensive slugfest, but, uh, you know, kind of a track meet, kind of a, a shootout where, um, you know, Tana did something on offense that Washington just couldn't find the answers for. And they couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't keep up maybe because of turnovers or, or something like, but it, it wasn't that they, they scored on their first drive, like you said, and then totally disappeared from the face of the earth. So, um, that offensive performance against Michigan's defense is not something that scares me. So I think that they'll be better than that, but I don't expect Washington to just come in and put up a, a ton of points after what we saw from them last weekend. And then if, if Michigan can, again, have success on the, the run game, uh, like we mentioned, and that offensive line, uh, starting with the Stardust and getting all the way out to uh, Stuber at right tackle and, and Ryan Hayes at left tackle. If those guys can execute cleanly on their assignments in the run game and you can see um, kind of Hassan Haskins wearing down on guys by, by being a physical runner and, and Blake Corum coming in as a change of pace, uh, really you know, working with uh, the speed on the outside and, and, and threatening to, to hit the home run on the cutback. Um, you know, I, I think Washington's defense is going to have all they can handle just trying to stop the run game. And then we'll see what Gaddis wants to do off of that, because we certainly didn't get to see a lot of variety in the passing game against Western. So the, the game plan um, is a big question mark, but I think Michigan is in a, in a position really to, uh, to build on what we saw against Western and Washington just has so many question marks to answer that uh, I would expect Michigan to win. I, I, I changed my pick from the preseason and, and um, I'm, I'm calling Michigan winning by six, which uh, depending on where you look, I think that, that that may cover the spread depending on what you got of that early in the week. I saw four and a half on Sunday, but I've seen it up as high as six or seven now. I think uh, most folks that, that do uh, tend to put money on the games um, saw that early line and, and jumped on it pretty quickly. So Washington last week scored on their very first possession of the game, you know, 78 yards, nine plays, took a 7-0 lead, and were blanked from there out, right? The other interesting thing is um, they didn't respond well to playing in front of a crowd. And, and this is one of the things uh, one of their coaches said. Um, you know, you were cheering when they were cheering. We were down when the fans were down. We're upset when they were booing. That's just the immaturity of our team at that time. 
oh my gosh, you know, uh, and, and you know, I, I don't like to put too much into the crowd, but man, if you have one of your coaches saying that about your team, how would you feel headed, heading into the big house at a night game? You know, I think it's going to be really crucial for, uh, you know, Michigan to get up, get the crowd into it and to, uh, you know, I do think that the that these guys are teetering right now, right? To go, um, you know, three point eight quarters, you know, eighty or ninety percent of the game without scoring, and uh, you know, to, to acknowledge the immaturity of of your team playing in front of a crowd and then heading into Michigan Stadium again. I, I you know, I'm hoping Michigan can deliver the knockout punch early and and again, you know you know, make this, you know, heading in, I was expecting a Michigan loss. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Michigan were able to, to win by a couple touchdowns. So, um, and again, I think it's going to tell us, um, you know, again, what kind of team do we have right now? And, and again, I say, what kind of team do we have now? Right. Um, we're still really early in the non-conference schedule, but um, you know, I, I think, uh, this is a. We need to see if the offense has the killer instinct and if the defense has that instinct, and if they can deliver and execute, because it seems like that this is a golden opportunity for Michigan, in front of a national audience, to reestablish itself as as a force, as a power, to make people believe and and to believe themselves that they're building towards something that can challenge um, the powers of the conference. I mean, again, remember, Michigan's still unranked, okay? And I can't, I'm trying to remember how long it's been since Michigan began a season unranked, won a game, and was still unranked. Normally, Michigan gets the, uh, hey, the name recognition ranking, right? There, are, there is a ton of skepticism out there. There's a ton of doubt, and I hope that the team uses that to, um, as I say, announce themselves with authority. I think there's a golden opportunity, a maze opportunity on Saturday, and I would really love to see them come out and just blow Washington away. Yeah, I think you. I think you said exactly what I was was gonna lean toward is is that you you want to see the killer instinct from uh you know your program and you know that starts with leadership you know making sure that you're staying laser focused on what your objectives are regardless of you know whether things are are going well or or whether there's a challenge in front of you so you you really want to see them continue to excel uh get off to a fast start which we know has been a focus um for this year's program, especially on Josh Gaddis's side. We want to see them get off to a fast start, get the crowd involved, and really put Washington under the microscope as to whether they're going to crack. Because um, I'm sure that they've got a lot of question marks swirling in, in their football building right now coming off of a, a shocker like that. So, yeah, you, you definitely want to get them down and kind of keep them down. And it is definitely within the realm of possibility that Michigan could could put up you know, a great, another great performance and, and get out uh, way in front and turn this into a laugher. I, that's, that's certainly possible, but I, I still expect this to, to stay 
within one or two scores through the game. And really, um, I, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, for that, for that blowout, uh, win, uh, that you were describing. But I'm also hoping that whenever there is some adversity for our, for our players to, to have to really step up and, and really lean on some of the leaders on the sideline, um, and, and make, big plays in some key moments. So that, that's kind of what I expect to see where I thought Washington had an edge in that department. I don't think they have that edge anymore. I think they've got a lot of doubt. So uh, somebody uh, from, from Michigan sideline is going to have to step up and make a key play at a key moment. We'll see when that happens in the game. And um, I think that's, that's where the difference is going to, going to end up playing out on the scoreboard. So, you know, the question is going to be, how does this team respond to adversity? Last season, they faced adversity against Michigan State. And, you know, uh, you know, we can go back and talk about that game and on all the plays that went Michigan State's way. But, you know, that's part of the game of football. That's part of how do you respond to adversity? You know, it was a home game at Michigan Stadium. Yes, there weren't fans there, but it was still, you know, their house, right? And Michigan did not respond well, and it, you know, sent them into a tailspin for the rest of the season. So I think you make a, you made a great point about, you know, when adversity comes up, how they respond. You know, the adversity last game was Ronnie Bell going out, and that's going to be some adversity that hangs over the rest of the season. And, you know, how are they going to respond how are they going to respond on Saturday in front of a, a national TV audience? And I think it's a big opportunity, and, and I'm I'm really hoping that you respond well. Yeah, absolutely. I think this team and the players that are, are put into leadership roles, both captains that, that were selected right at the end of fall camp by the players, and then also you know the starting quarterback, Cade McNamara, has done nothing this offseason or, or – through the first week to, to show me that he is uh, flappable in, in, in the least. You know, I think he really, um, what we've heard directly from players and what we've seen uh, this last Saturday is that he really has control of the huddle. He really has control at the line of scrimmage and can communicate calls. You know, same thing that I was saying about the starters up front for the offensive line. And the same thing with... Um, you know, Aiden Hutchinson on the defensive side and Josh Ross at linebacker and Brad Hawkins at safety. So at all three levels of the defense, you have very experienced leaders uh, in that huddle. And, and I think that's really the most important thing when we're talking about uh, responding to adversity. And and last year, the, the times that Michigan did not respond to adversity, you know, I'm not sure that those same uh, that those same people were in the same roles. Um, and, you know, the, the coaching staff has made a clear emphasis on <clears throat> understanding the value of having those those player leaders uh, be be in charge of that on, on the field in, in real time. It can't always come from the coaches. Sometimes the players have to be able to step forward and, and fill those shoes. And I think this year's team seems to be a little bit better suited for that, and and we will find out uh, Saturday night. All right. Well, we'll have a lot to talk about after that. 
So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.